Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Well, I've been teaching this three-week series entitled Generous Living, Generous Living. And the first week, second week, you know, I covered two different topics. And today I'm going to be concluding this series. I'm excited because I really believe everything has built towards this point. In fact, how many of you want to be blessed in your lifetime? You know, you don't want to be living in lack, but you want the God who is more than enough. What is that name in the Hebrew? El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough to provide for you. And you know what happens? You'll find when God is bringing provision for you, that also gives you overflow so you can spill out. Everybody say spill out. Spill out provision to others. So I'm excited for today. And, and, and when you think about provision, when you think about giving to others, being, being generous in your, your living and in your giving, have you ever asked yourself why it seems like some people seem to succeed more than others? It's only natural at times to do the comparison game. We look at some and say, well, how come I'm not blessed? I'm not looking to be a billionaire. I'm not looking to be a millionaire, but... How come, you know, it just seems like everything is a struggle, not just with finance, but every aspect of my life. You know, why am I not succeeding as a total person like others I've observed? I know at times, you know, throughout my lifetime, I'm, I've lived 66 plus years now, there, there have been situations when I've said, Lord, how come their prayer's working and mine isn't? Now, you're saying, Pastor, you've never thought that. Hey, I'm flesh and blood just like all of you. We all get hit, but it's what we do with the thoughts that hit us that determines who's in control. Amen? Amen. Well, today I'm going to be continuing this series. And, and as we look at those that have been blessed, you know, there is actually a dynamic in their lives that show us why. And, and I want to touch on a few. Look at Isaac. It was the son of Abraham, right? A famine hit the land. No one else was sowing seed because obviously the natural would say, don't sow seed for a farm in a field during a time of famine. Wait until you know there'll be the, the rains from heaven so that the seed will be nourished and germinate and, and grow and bring forth a harvest. But no one else was sowing during this time of famine. And God spoke to Isaac and said, I want you to sow your seed. Now, he didn't sow some of it. He sowed all of it. Now, here's the issue with that. If you don't have any harvest in the storehouse now, and if you sow all of your seed at a time when everyone around you would say, bad decision, bad choice, bad investment, then you stand. If you lose your seed, you have nothing to plant the next planting season, right? But Isaac obeyed the word of the Lord. And Scripture says he reaped a 100-fold blessing. There's a reason for that. How about King David? When you look at him, as he grew in popularity and success, King Saul, he suffered defeat after defeat, and people actually began to lose confidence in his leadership. And when you look at his life, you can understand why. But what was it about David that positioned him for blessing? And what about the widow and her son? They only had a little bit left, and I shared on that a couple weeks ago. A little left to make one small cake, and then the two of them, the widow and her son, were going to eat it and die. But what was it that made 
God moved the prophet Elijah to her home. And what was it about that widow that even when she shared her concerns, we're going to make this, eat it, and die, yet she still gave it to the man of God. And then throughout the rest of the famine, her pot and her jars never ceased to yield the oil and the meal. Why did she succeed? Why did she choose yes? What was it that caused her to benefit above others around her? And even when you look at the parable of the talents, one buried his, one sowed his two, invested them. The other sowed his five, invested them. And they both doubled the two and the five doubled theirs, but the one who buried, nothing came from it. And then when the master came and was looking for the return, the yield, he rebuked the one who buried his talent and gave it to the one who had five and doubled to ten. What was it about those other two that caused them to stand out? They were all given something to give back, something to invest, something to use, but only the other two succeeded. What was it? Again, some people seem to succeed while others don't experience the greatest return, the greatest yield, some even devastating results. What is it that causes people to stand out? You'll find even in the non-Christian world, there are certain principles that some people abide by. They're, they're very charitable. They give, give to hospitals. They give to other worthy organizations. You know, and, and, and so what they're doing, they're actually practicing a principle of giving that God has instituted when you're reaching out to the needy, to the sick, to the afflicted, the hungry, like we're looking to feed Philly, you know, on Monday, tomorrow, you know, all of these things. And even if a person doesn't know the Lord, if they follow a biblical principle, God will still honor the principle. That doesn't mean their name's going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That doesn't mean they're going to step into the kingdom of heaven if they remain in that unsaved condition till their last breath. But God still honors the principles of His words in giving. And so when you take and you look, whether in the Christian church or whether people who don't know the Lord, but they practice certain principles of giving, why is it that they succeed? Well, to gain a better understanding, our text this morning, I want everyone to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. If you have your phones with you, just put them on uh, silent, but you can go on your app and turn to this portion of Scripture. We have Bibles in the rear of the auditorium that you can get also. It's very important. A lot of people say, ah, I don't know how to find my way through the Scriptures. Well, that's because you've got to start using the Bible in order to find your way. And the more comfortable you become, the more, you know, educated, then it'll, it won't be a major ordeal, and then the Word of God will even become more a part of you. Amen? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 18 through 23. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown into his heart. This is he who received the seed, received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, 
and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, but he who received the seed on good ground, everyone say good ground. He who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now when you read this, what really strikes me is this following statement. Your success, my success, success in general, isn't based on what you have, but rather how you care for what you've been given. That's, that's a profound statement. Let me say it again. Success isn't based on what you have, but rather on how you care for what you have been given. So we need to ask ourselves, how are we caring for what God has given us? Some may be given more, but what we do with what we're given determines increase or even decrease. You see, I found success in life, and I mean not only from the world's perspective, but spiritually most important from God's perspective, our walk with Him, our faith, our stability, our steadiness, our consistency. It's all about two words, good ground. When someone's life represents good ground, then God will find it very easy to bless the seed that is sown into that good ground. Now, when you look at our text, Jesus is teaching on the topic of stewardship, the same theme I've been emphasizing over these past three weeks. He then references a man sowing seed, right? And that represents God. God is the sower of seed, his word. Amen? Then he also talks about the seed and how the seed represents his word. So God is the sower, right? And then the seed is his word. And then the ground, Jesus brings out, represents people. You're the ground. Look at the person say next to you and say, you're nothing but dirt. Good dirt. That's right. Good dirt. Honestly, what defines the worth of the dirt is how we use it. But you're all good ground, right? Good dirt. So the ground represents people, and each parcel of ground, isn't it interesting they receive the same seed? The seed was the same seed, and it was spread. So the sower was scattering the same amount in all of the four parcels of ground. Then when you take and you look at this, you see some of the results, though, from the seed on all of the four parcels of land, they differed. Why? Well, to better understand this, let's begin by looking at the first parcel, the seed sown by where? The wayside. Look at Matthew 13, 4. Jesus says, And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Now, here's an interesting definition. When I began to dive deeper into the Greek, which is the original writings, or original, original manuscripts of the uh, gospel writings, I found that this word wayside is also defined as road, highway, I like this one, journey, journey. So in other words, our ground, 
our lives are the fruit of a journey. The wayside, the road we walk, the journey we take. And obviously, this portion of ground, the reason it was hard was because the journey of this individual that ground represents was a hard journey, a hard life. The wayside, when you look at that usage in that time of history, always referenced the beaten down, hurting dirt of a path that directly paralleled the main highway. So on the side, there was a path. It was beaten down. It was hardened from people constantly walking over it. And then to try and even see water seep into the ground, the dirt had become so hard on that wayside it wasn't absorbed into the soil. And the same was applicable to the seed that fell in the wayside. The ground, the life, the heart had become so hard that how could the seed absorb and bear fruit if even the water that would take and irrigate the entire area wouldn't seep and perk into the land? You know, sometimes when life is hard, Sometimes when we're abandoned, we're abused, sometimes when we walk through real heartbreak circumstances, I think we've all been there to some degree, some maybe more than others. But when we go through difficult times, especially if there's betrayal and abandonment, then people lose trust in those around them. And do you know what also transpires? People who maybe in their midnight hour, they cry out to God. And if they didn't see the results or receive the results they were looking for, at least at that moment, then they even lose confidence in God. And then what happens, all of the things that we encounter in life can harden us. And, and, and when you look at this, when someone's wounded in life like that, then the first distinctive response is, I'm just going to build walls because I'm never going to get hurt again. I'm not going to let people in. But the only problem with that is when we build walls, those same walls that are there to try and keep those who have hurt us out also wind up keeping God out. And if God is not allowed into the deepest recesses of our lives, until we open the door to Him, even though He's constantly sowing His love, His grace, His mercy, He's scattering the seed, His word, His promises, if we're so hardened and we've put up walls, we've put up layers to guard our hearts, because now I'm never going to be hurt like that again. Never. People let me down. And God, I cried out to you. You let me down. And then the walls are erected. And then the blessing, the seed, because the ground is hard. It can't be absorbed. It can't take root. It can't grow into a seedling and then into a vegetation that can produce provision, all because of being hardened by life. Sometimes the journey is difficult. Amen? We have prayed and continue to pray for many people in our congregation and beyond who are walking difficult roads. But I'm here to tell you, tell you that God is not the source of that issue. God is not the source of that problem. He's the answer. Isn't it astounding how you know, when everything goes good, God doesn't get the glory. And then when things go bad, God gets blamed. 
even in our insurance industry in this nation. You know, when there's a, a natural disaster, then people file an insurance claim. What do the insurance companies classify this claim as? An act of God. So God is the source. See how we're psychologically conditioned? God is the source of that tornado. God is the source of that hurricane. God is the source of that earthquake. God is the source of something that hurt us, damaged what we have, and maybe even the life of a loved one in that disaster was taken, and now the hurt just becomes greater. So the greater the hurt, the greater the walls we thicken to protect ourselves. We harden that barricade around us, that bunker, so that never again will I walk through that. When we lost our daughter, Satan hit me with all kinds of thoughts. Like, you're a preacher. Don't you get a buy? You serve the Lord. And look at how God rewarded you. When I had that diagnosis, it was two years ago now. You know, and, and I needed surgery. Wow, looks like your prayers really work. You know, you pray for others, they get healed, and now look at the condition of your body. God came through and he healed me. But when you're in the midst, we don't want to walk through difficult times, do we? We don't want to encounter, you know, that opposition. But the Bible says, Jesus said it, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Now, rain can be a blessing. It can also be a curse, right? Rain could be, you know, refreshment to the soil and to the aqueducts after great times of famine. And it can also be flood stage waters that are ruining villages and cities and towns that surround it overflowing their banks and causing devastation. So rain can be a blessing or a curse. And guess what? Jesus said it falls on the just and unjust. That means life happens. But it's what we do with what happens which determines the end of our story. Did you hear me? So the wayside are individuals, saved or unsaved, they build up the walls, they build up the protection, they build up the layers in order to keep any other kind of negative thing from hurting them ever again. In the end, what it does, it creates a breach of anger and doubt that even comes between the person and God. This is the wayside ground that Jesus is speaking of. Well, God's Word cannot take root in a hard heart. So we either deal with our heart or our condition remains the same. Do you feel like your life is wayside ground? Do you feel like you've been through so much hurt, so much pain? You're tired of it. You've built up walls. But even the walls you build don't seem to keep the pain out. In fact, it will actually contain the pain in that area behind the wall. Jesus also talks about another seed, another soil where the seed was sown. After dealing with the wayside, he speaks of the stony places. Now, the stony places, on the surface, the ground looks incredible. It looks great. But underneath, there are a lot of issues. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 20 through 21. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises... Because of the word, immediately he stumbles. They hear the plan of salvation. They hear about Jesus. They hear a principle of faith. 
They're excited. Hallelujah. But then eventually when difficulties arise, as I mentioned with the last seed, when people build the walls, this is someone with not as much hardness. There is some breakage there in the ground, but because there are still issues, the roots cannot go down deep enough. And then when difficulties come, then even that which begins with a good start, because beneath the soil, beneath the surface, there are issues that are keeping the root from going even deeper where real stability and confidence comes from in the Lord. And when this takes place, all of these rocks, all of these stones, which I define this way as unresolved issues, unmet needs, unhealed hurts, all of these things beneath the surface, when all of a sudden difficulties arise, then those winds of adversity, those storms, that doubt, that unbelief when it comes, because there's limitation with this soil. It starts good, but it can't continue the journey. Those rocks, those stones, make the seed vulnerable. And then eventually the seed dies. Listen, what am I saying? If you don't deal with the rocks in your life, if I don't deal with the rocks in my life, the issues, then you know what will happen? Those rocks will deal with you. Those rocks will deal with me. Years back, on Father's Day, the... Uh, my kids, Cindy and the kids, gave me a hammock, an outdoor hammock. But it was the kind you tie from tree to tree. So I didn't have many trees in our yard at that time. I had to plant all of our trees, and now they've grown and matured. But at that time, it was like a big meadow before. And so what did I do in place of trees? I, I went to the uh, lumber yard, got, uh, you know, two uh, four-by-four posts, bought a couple bags of concrete, and then I got my post hole digger out, my, my yard looked good. My, my, my grounds looked good. I didn't see any issues. So I went to the spot where I felt was the best, most appropriate place to put in the hammock, and I began to dig with the post hole digger. Well, for the first few inches, it was great. I said, this is good land, good ground. And then I got down about 12 inches. Then all of a sudden, when I began to go beyond that, it's like, ding, I hit rock. Then I went over and you know, I got a long iron and began to dig on the rock and pulled it out. And then I began to go again. Ding! Hit another one. I only made it to about 18 inches. Then I looked over to the right and I said, oh, no. This isn't even done. I need to go about 24 inches. And I've got another one to dig. It was a hot summer day at that point when I decided to do it. I was sweating. I was tired. So I finished it out and I said, 18 inches is fine. So then I went over and dug the other post hole. <laughs> only about eight inches down, ding, I hit the rocks. I only got down probably about 16 inches there. It was rock after rock after rock. So what did I do? I said, this is good enough. <laughs> then I put the post in, poured the quick creed all around it, put the water in, let it cure for a couple days. Then it was ready. Even though I hadn't gone what was really recommended, you know, I gave up dealing with working that ground. You know, this is good enough. This is as far as I'm going. When I hooked the hammock up, the left side, the right side, and then there it was blowing in the wind. And I said, I can see it now. Iced coffee and my hammock. And because it's Father's Day, it's my hammock. Well, I get on the hammock. It was great. I was swinging left and right. Nice summer breeze. And all of a sudden, the post went inward. Well, what did I do? 
I took the post out and put the hammock away and never put it back up. <laughs> See, because I didn't deal with all the rocks. I didn't receive all the benefit. How many times do we get like that? You know, you know there's stones, there's rocks in our life, and Jesus moves on us, and he, he's talking to us, and so we start dealing with these things. But then we become exhausted. I'm, I'm, you know, when's this end, Lord? When's this? Have you ever prayed that prayer, Lord? When will this be over? Well, you know what? We're all a work in progress till we draw our last breath. My mother is 94, going on 95 now, and she t- still tells me how the Lord is working things in her heart. I said, Mom, listen, you're going to have the bedroom right next to Jesus. I said, I'm going to be way down the streets of gold. I'm going to probably have to take an Uber to make it up to where you are. And you're telling me the Lord is still working things in your life. Obviously, I understood what she was saying. He is working on all of us. But the key is, are we cooperating? Or are we giving up? Do you feel like you're stony ground? Man, there's rocks, there's issues. Maybe, maybe there's some habits, things that, that are a part of your life. So I just wish... I could just be free of this thing. Well, you can. It's a rock. But you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with the rocks. You've got to deal with the stones. You've got to deal with the hurts. You've got to deal with the pain. You've got to deal with the issues. I mean, that's just life even if you don't know the Lord. Somebody struggles with algebra. You know, well, you failed algebra. You're speaking to your child. That's okay. You don't need algebra in life. No, you send them to summer school until they get it down. You hire a tutor until they learn it so they can be more grounded. Maybe they won't go on to be a CPA, but they still need to understand principles of math, principles of calculation. And life is like that, every area of our life. We may not make a career out of certain things, but there are principles we need to accomplish in life to really prepare for blessing, prepare for success, prepare for a healthy career, a healthy home, healthy relationships, socialization. Some children are more outward than others. Does that mean, well, just just go stay in the room, lock the door. You know, I get it. You don't like people. I didn't like them either. You know, so how are they ever going to learn to interface? How are they ever going to learn how to have relationship? I mean, do you want your son or daughter living in your house until they're 60 and 70? They'll probably outlive you and me, right? You want them to have a home. You want them to be blessed. So even at times when areas of socialization might be more uncomfortable for certain people and certain children, you force yourself to do the right thing. Why? Because you know in the end it's healthier. It will end with a better life and better results and, and more effectiveness, especially because we're called to be a representative for Christ. We can't hide in a closet and let our light shine. It may be a really bright closet, but nobody else is in the closet with you. Somebody say amen. We're called to let our light shine on top of the hill so people are touched. But if we are racked with stones and rocks and obstacles, then a lot of times we don't want people to see that, so we hide. We pull away. We build walls. You know, those rocks, they're baggage. They're obstructions in our lives that need to go. You know, they're, they're issues. And when the rocks get exposed, the issues are exposed, people begin to see things. We're embarrassed, so what do we do? We hide. We don't want our rocks. We don't want our baggage exposed or, no, exposed or noticed by others. But until we deal with those rocks, God's Word cannot take root. It can't grow because the rocks will only allow the root to go so 
far. Do you feel like there's rocks in your life? Do you feel like you're stony ground? We've all got a little bit of everything, right? But where do you see yourself with this type of soil? Jesus dealt with the wayside, the hardened heart, the hard path, the hard journey, the hard soil. He dealt with the stony ground. But then he went on to reference the thorny ground, the thorns. Why the comparison to thorns? How many of you like to garden? How many of you have flowers? How many of you have vegetation, tomatoes? Now, if your garden is really yielding wonderful flowers and, and wonderful produce, does it just happen? Or is there work involved? Right? In fact, what takes place when you sow the good seed in this type of soil, the thorny, thorny ground, if you don't keep an eye, if you don't care for your, your seed and, and what's growing, then immediately you're going to see there's other vegetation, but undesirable vegetation. Thorns, weeds, thistle. How many of you have ever gotten poison ivy in your shrubs? And you say, well, I want that out, but yet you don't want to go in. So some of you who aren't brave enough to go in, then you hire somebody to go in for you. <laughs> but bottom line is, if you don't deal with this unwanted growth, it invades what you do desire. It invades what is, has worth. And as a result, if it goes undealt with, it will eventually choke out the good vegetation by overtaking it with all of the growth of the weeds, the thorns. Jesus drew the analogy of the weeds, the thorns, as the cares of the world. Look at Matthew 13, 22. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now sometimes people look at that word cares as the worries of this world. Well, fear can stimulate that. But what it really deals with is that which you care for. Whatever you care for receives your attention, right? If you care for your children, you care for your spouse. Your children, your spouse receive your attention. If you care for your job, it receives your attention. It's a priority list. And so the things we care for really revealed our heart. And we should care for our families, our marriages, our children, our grandchildren. We should care you know, for our jobs and other things that have been entrusted to us. That's part of being good stewards. But when those things take precedent over God's kingdom, then what we're really doing is establishing our kingdom above the Lord's. We're caring for what we have and what we're fearful of losing, what we desire to see grow, what we desire to see prosper, what we desire to see happen on all these other things that aren't bad. But if we allow them to have rule and reign above God and His kingdom to where all of a sudden what we care for because we don't want to lose it, it's all based on fear, then I don't have time for church. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. You know, I'm caring for too many things, the cares of the world. And the Lord knows that we need certain portions to exist to meet our needs but hasn't he promised he'll supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus? And doesn't the word say if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be added. But if we are so focused on our kingdom, 
what we care for. And we should be good stewards of that. Again, I wanted to emphasize that. But when we go to the extreme to where God gets our leftovers, then that is the thorns that come and choke the seed of God's Word because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. And if we're not spending time with the Lord, our faith is going to dwindle. It's going to become weakened. It's like our physical bodies. If we don't eat, we become weak. And so if we're not being spiritually, you know, receiving nutrition, then we're spiritually going to be weak. Spiritual malnutrition. And, and, and so all of the cares then that we're fearful, all of the things that we love, all of the things that are dearest to our hearts, when we find ourselves so absorbed to where we remove God from the picture, then Satan has succeeded. The cares, the important things in our lives in this world have caused us to deprioritize God. You still love Him. You still want to serve Him, but on your terms, not His. When I have time. The thorns, kingdoms, riches. That's why I, I think I brought out uh, last week, or maybe it was on a Wednesday night with my the Supernatural Power of Thanksgiving series I did. But David Green, the owner of Hobby Lobby, gave his company away. Man is a multi-billionaire. And he shared that all of the responsibility, all of those monies, everybody pulling on him, all that was happening, it was so much that he just said, you know, I don't need this. So he gave all of the profit sharing to charitable organizations, Christian charitable organizations. So that instead of him, he says, how much do I need? How much do I need? No wonder the man's a billionaire. Because his heart is the kingdom. And when the cares of this world began to really try and overshadow his care for God's kingdom, he said, I need to make a profit change. Now, I, I just heard someone in my heart just say, well, if God makes me a billionaire, I, I, once I hit that mark, I, I'll give all the proceeds to charity. Well, you'll probably never make it to that because it's the heart that precedes the increase is what really produces the increase. Amen? Praise the Lord. The thorns. You know, I, I, when I read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it always stirs my heart. My mother, in fact, wrote it in my first Bible she ever gave me. This is, for the, love of, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You say, well, why would your mother write that in your Bible? Because my father was a very wealthy man. But then when the wealth got to him, when his priorities began to center around his wealth, then it corrupted his priorities. And then it corrupted his morality. And, and then before you know it, he was running hard from God. And then all of the guilt and, and all of the anxiety he carried, his coping skill became alcohol. And then all other types of lascivious living began to accompany for a season his life, all because he allowed the love of money to take root and precedent over his love for God. And Paul says, for the love of money is a root. It's not the root. A root. Sometimes people say, well, is it a sin to have money? No, money's a blessing if you use it God's way. Amen? I mean, I don't think any of you woke up today and said, man, I hope I go poor in my lifetime. You know, or if you're struggling for finance now, I hope it never changes. You know, money can be a blessing. It really can. A blessing to us and a blessing to others and a blessing to God's plans and purposes. And God wants to entrust, you know, finance into our care. And so as we show ourselves faithful with little, he'll be faithful to even release more. Why? Because when we're faithful with little, we're sowing seed. We're sowing seed. And that seed can't help but grow if we continue to work with the soil of our life. 
getting the rocks out, getting the issues out. You know, that hard ground, seeing it broken and plowed so it's fertile and can receive seed. Is this making sense to anybody? Praise the Lord. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Look at all of the scandals that we see that are happening on the television now, all centered around the love of money. When you take and you see the scams and the Ponzi schemes, look at the whole Bitcoin issue now that's transpiring. People have lost their life savings, you know, because someone had a love of money. Look at all of the human trafficking, you know, that we see people being trafficked into this nation who are looking for a better life, and some are looking to disrupt the life of this nation. But because people are making hundreds of thousands, millions, even billions in the large scheme of things, because they love the money, they'll do anything to get it. The sex trafficking. Little children being captured and taken and groomed for prostitution. It's awful. All because people love money. All of the crime, people wanting to take what isn't theirs, is because they love money. Yes, there are people with needs, but honestly, if we have the right soil in our lives, make the right decisions, and begin to make the right steps, anyone can become a success. Anyone. It's all about choice. But when you love money more than you love God, then morality becomes secondary. And whatever it takes to have it, I'll do it. I'll do it. Why? Because money's power. And people want to have power over others. But scriptures say power belongs to the Lord. He gives us authority to exercise that power. But the power is always his for righteous purposes. Amen? Praise the Lord. Are there thorns in your life? Are the cares of this world material things, are they hindering God's word from taking root in your heart? Now, let me say this. As we look at the wayside, as we look at the stony, and as we look at the thorns, some people say, I guess I'm just destined to be this way. This is who I am. Do you know God never destined for anyone to be wayside, stony, or thorny ground? God never destined anyone to be the black sheep of the family. Some people feel like this is just my destiny. It's who I am. I can't change. God the Father said, for God, Jesus said that God the Father sent his only son, himself, Jesus, to the world because he loved the world. For God so Father loved the world that he gave his only son. That means he would not invest, sow the seed of his son, to be the perfect Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, if he didn't believe the seed of his Son that would bring about salvation, deliverance, would change the soil, the makeup of any individual that would call upon him for help. God wants to change those with the wayward soil. God wants to change those with the stony soil. And God wants to change those with the thorny soil. What does that tell us? It tells us anyone can become my closing point, good ground. There is a way to transform the ground of your life. There is. What is it? Work the land. If you have ground, what do you do? You take care of it. You work the land. Look at Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves. This is God speaking to his people. Sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy. So sowing and reaping. Break up your fallow, your hard ground, 
your wayside ground. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. You see, if you begin to take steps, and when you're intentional, when you're deliberate, and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to work the land of my life. I'm going to allow the ground, who I am right now, to be changed and transformed to who God says I can be by His grace and His help and His mercy. I'm going to break up this hard ground. I'm going to start sowing good seed into my life and allow God to make a difference. He says, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on you. You, your life, you are the ground. And you are the one called to break up the ground. Pastor, could you gather together with me and just break up my hard heart? Or here's a, probably an easier analogy to understand. Pastor, I have a garden out back, but can you come and rototill the whole thing for me? God says, you rototill your own ground. You break up the hardness in your heart. And that's where repentance comes in. When you're beginning to say, okay, Lord, my heart is hard. I've lost touch with you. I'm angry. I have walls. I have layers. You know, I just don't trust anyone. I don't even trust you. But Lord, how can I not trust the one who's my only way of escape? He says, you break up your hard ground. You sow the seed into your ground. That's why it's great you're gathered here together. You know what you're receiving? I'm scattering seed, and your lives are absorbing that seed. And as you, just like me, as we then deal with our hearts, that's our soil. That prepares the way so that the seed, not only that you receive here, but when you read a, an instructional Christian writing, an inspirational work that really shows you a different place in God, you know, that says, man, I want to be like that. I, I want to go to that level. When you're receiving seed by reading the Word on your own, reading good books, and reading the, you know, and spending time in your church, and, and participating in area Bible studies, you know, that's why we have lifeboats. We want people to be able to receive seed and their hearts be tilled, plowed at the same time so that we can become the men and women of God so that we prepare ourselves for blessing. We prepare ourselves for a wonderful harvest, for increase spiritually, emotionally, as well as what we need to survive and get by during our lifetime, even for daily provisional needs. Everything is about preparing ourselves. And when we understand that we are the one who have to sow. We are the ones that have to seek the Lord. Ask Him for help. Just like David says, search me and see if there's any wicked way in my heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Every night I get on my knees before I go to bed and, and, and I'll be there and I just pray in the Holy Spirit for a season. And then I begin to pray, say, Holy Spirit, just search me, help me to be a better man of God, a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather, a better pastor. Help me, Lord God. You know what I need. You know what's before me. I haven't even stepped into my future yet, but you know what's waiting for me. Lord, prepare me in advance so that I can be effective and I am ready to face no matter what faces me. All of that is when we seek the Lord on behalf of our ground, our life. I can say, Lord, change Cindy. But Cindy has to say, Lord, you change me. And the same is true for everyone around you. You can say, would you pray for me? Sure, I'll pray for you. But change begins with you, not the person who prays for you. You control your land. You control your seed. And you determine your harvest. And your harvest is what facilitates generous living. Generous living. In closing, do you desire to become good ground? How many of you want to be good ground? You want the seed of His Word? 
you want the spiritual things of God to really take up root in your life and go deep? You ever hear people say, man, you know, he's a, he or she is a deep Christian. You ever hear people reference individuals like that? A deep Christian is one where the seed has gone down deep and their lives have been impacted and, and their, 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 their harvest. It, it, you know, what happens when you have a harvest, it bears more seed and then you have more to sow and then the increase just takes over itself as you continue to care for your ground. God can change your wayside. He can. He can change your stony ground, your thorny ground. Jesus, he believes in you. Would he honestly have given you the breath of life? That's a gift. Would he have honestly given you the breath of life if he didn't have a purpose and a plan for you? If he didn't believe in you? He believes in you. And if you honor him, he has promised he will honor you. Work your land. Work your land. Work your life. Deal with the issues. Deal with the bitterness. Deal with the sin. Deal with anything that's standing between you and God. Deal with anything that's affecting the soil of your life. We determine how deep we go in the Lord. And when I look at this congregation right here, and when I speak to those who are worshiping and watching online, I see those that have a hunger and a thirst. Because the bottom line is you wouldn't be watching this broadcast if you didn't desire more of Jesus. You all wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't desire more of Jesus. So in order to receive more, you got to work the land. Work the land. Work your ground. Work your soil. Choose to become good ground. Amen. Let's all stand. Father, I thank you for everyone gathered in this auditorium. And I ask right now that we would allow your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts the soil of our lives. And Lord, even as David cried out to God, search me and see if there be any wicked way within me. Lord, we pray anything, Lord, that is hindering our ground from receiving the seed of your word. Anything that would rob that seed. Anything that would stop the growth of that seed. Anything, Lord, that is standing in the way between us and you. Show us so we can work the land. We can deal with the rocks in our lives. The stones. The thorns. Lord, show us so that we can honor you with our lives, the ground you have given us. I pray if there's anyone here that's never committed their life to Jesus, that today would be that day they say yes to your great salvation. And then for all of us, Lord, who desperately need you in our lives, for all of us that desire to grow in our faith and our relationship, Lord, all of us to go from glory to glory, from level to level, from faith to faith, Lord, I pray that we would receive this message with open arms. In the name of Jesus, amen. How many want to be good ground? I said, how many want to be good ground? Well, you know who wants you to be good ground more than you do? The Lord. He's for you. He's not against you. And his promises are yea and amen. And so I want those of you who desire to be good ground, I want you to pray this prayer with me. 
You already own the land. Now you're going to honor God with what He's given you. You're going to work the land. And there are seasons. There's a season to plow, a season to sow the seed, and a season to reap the harvest. But if you commit to the long haul, to the entire process, plowing, planting, and harvesting, if you commit to the entire thing, God will bless your life. Amen. Lift your hands towards heaven and pray this prayer with me out loud. Those of you watching online, the same thing. Lift your hands towards heaven and pray this with me out loud. Say, Dear God, I confess my sin. I ask for forgiveness. I invite Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord, to take control of my life. Lord, I give to you my ground. Now give me faith. Help me work the land that you've given me. May I not run from the rocks. May I not run away from the thorns. May I not be discouraged by the wayside. Father, I commit to a lifestyle of good ground. I say yes to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You've heard my prayer. In Christ's name. Amen. Now give him praise. He heard that prayer. He heard that prayer. He loves you. He loves you so very much. Praise God. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.